Good morning. I'm Randall Bradley, and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to this place. We are really glad that you're here. Uh, everybody's uh, welcome here. We're glad that you're here. If this is the very first day that you've worshipped at Calvary, or if this is a place where you come every week, you are welcome, and we want you to feel that today. I'm so glad to have this uh, wonderful children's choir here waiting to sing, and uh, you all just bring so much hope and uh, joy to our lives. To look at you and, and not smile and be happy uh, would say something important about you. So uh, what an important day this is. I also want to recognize that uh, Erica Muzu has been a part of our congregation now for um, a little bit over two years, and Eric is going to be moving on uh, shortly and uh, becoming a worship leader and a, a pianist at another church here in our area. So we are so grateful, Eric, for all that you have meant to Calvary. We love you and we wish you well. So thank you. Saying goodbye is a hard thing in life, but uh, it's important to wish people well on the next leg of their journey. So Eric, we love you. If you're a guest, we'd appreciate your filling out this card uh, today, so we'll have a record of your attendance. We'd like for you to do that if you wouldn't mind. We've been in a two-week series called Instructions for Living a Life. Living a good life is something that I know that we all intend to do. It's important for all of us, and yet maybe it's something that we uh, sometimes we don't quite know how to do or something about which we struggle. So how do we do that? How do we make that happen? And that's what we're here to learn more about and to think about today. In today's worship, we'll discover ways in which a life is well-lived, and we'll learn from each other. Last week, we began the process of writing on these green recipe-like cards, and you'll see um, a few of them around the room uh, by the wall. I think some of you had some questions about what is it that these cards ought to hold and what are, how am I supposed to do this? I know that I did. Uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, the staff that we gathered, we went around and read all of the cards that you had posted, and then we sat down and wrote cards out ourselves. I was curious as to how Mary Alice might have known that none of us had done that previously, um, <laughs> but she got it right that none of us had filled out the cards. So, um, some ways that you might think about filling out this card. How am I hoping to live my life moving forward might be a question that you would think about. What have I learned about living a good life that I might want to share with someone else or I might want to write down to remind myself? What are my highest values and my wildest dreams for a good life? You might want to notate those. I think the problem with my writing this card was I'm not sure how to live a good life completely, and I didn't want to come off as knowing more than I know, so I was really hesitant to write anything on my card. So if that helps you, just write down some things, and if you would be willing to post that uh, with one of those clothespins, we'd really appreciate that, and it'll help someone else. But feel free to write whatever you want to. I promise you there's a lot of different kinds of responses. Um, so please do that. I thought it might be helpful for you to hear what are some of the things the staff wrote. So I got their permission. I didn't want to read your stuff out in public, but I got permission to read a few things from the staff. Here are some answers that they said. Be curious. Always listen for the story beneath the surface. Another was pray earnestly that your heart and God's heart are beating in unison and that the relationship uh, is, that the relationship is being developed in sync with God's love and acceptance. Another was bask in the beauty of creation. Uh, another was be humble. There's always something to learn, to experience, or something new to embrace. Another was learn the practice of gratitude for all things big and small, for getting to live and participate uh, for others who with others who love you and allow you to love them. So take some time today during worship or take the card home with you and fill it out and bring it back with you. Again, welcome to Calvary, and I hope that you will worship well today as you join your hearts with those around you as we worship together. Thanks be to God.
God, 
We confess that we wish to live the good life, but we are often daily trying to do so with weary hearts and broken souls. So in these moments, we pray that you send down upon us your health-filled and healing spirit so that we may truly, in these moments, open our eyes to see your work, open our ears to hear your words, and open our minds and hearts that we may be both receivers and transmitters of the blessing of grace you offer us in these moments to the honor and glory of your Son and our Savior. Amen.
He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and, my, and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not take death before they see the kingdom of God. A reading from the book of Philipp Philippians. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as a loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word, word of the, the Lord. Lord. Till we see this journey through. 
good morning, Calvary. I want to introduce you to John UC. John is the uh, voice of NPR, so <laughs> you can just imagine this morning that I'm Terry Gross and this is Fresh Air. <laughs> so just a little bit of background on John. Uh, back, John grew up in this area in Central Texas uh, as a graduate of bo both Baylor and MCC. He met his wife, Debbie, who is here with us this morning at Hillcrest Hospital, and they married in 1975. Right. That's right, yeah. Uh, John loves playing golf. He also mentioned loving to torture both Debbie and his granddaughter, Scarlett, with dad jokes. And it's, it's interesting, I asked Debbie and Scarlett both a few questions about John. One of the questions I asked, if a movie star was going to play John in a movie, who would you choose? And Debbie said Robert Duvall, which I thought, oh, hey. that's a really great... <laughs> But Scarlett said uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, so I couldn't decide if that was more a reflection of Scarlett's interests or if, who, so yeah. Um, well, we're really glad to have you this morning, John. Uh, this series, we've been talking about instructions for living life, and we wanted to ask John a few questions um, that, that kind of play on that topic and give him a chance to, to respond to those. So one question I have for you, John. What's one valuable lesson that you learned over the course of your life? Maybe a story or something you could share with us. Sure, I have a story. And, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. No? Okay. So one of the uh, stories that I have uh, occurred when I was 14 years old. But I want to let everybody know for sure I'm still learning life lessons. So this is one of the stories that I remember has stayed with me all my life. My grandfather uh, worked a middle-sized farm here in the area, and uh, when I was 14, he gave me a summer job driving a very large John Deere tractor to pack cut-up corn in um, a large uh, hole in the ground that we called a silage pit, and I was to drive the tractor back and forth to pack it down. So if you can imagine a 14-year-old behind the wheel of a very powerful tractor, you know, what could go wrong? <laughs> and sure enough, I uh, turned the tractor over on its side and was unharmed, and I kind of made my way, crawled up out of the silage pit, and was standing there in all my embarrassment and just shocked of what had happened. And about that time, my grandfather drove up, and he, he got out of his truck, his old GMC pickup truck, looked at me, looked at what had happened, and this is what I'll always remember because his very first words to me were, are you okay? He didn't ask, there were no questions about how did this happen. He didn't say, he didn't look at the crippled tractor and say, oh no. He didn't look at the, the silage that was being spoiled by the leaking uh, crankcase oil. No, he was interested in the person. And so I walked away from that experience putting people over things and understanding that lives matter more than stuff. That's an outstanding story. Um, if you could convince yourself to believe one thing it's really hard for you to believe, what would it be? Okay, um, I grew up in a conservative Southern Baptist Church and at some point along the line it was made pretty clear, at least in the church I was attending, that you know, you had to, you couldn't be a really good believer and you couldn't have really good faith if you accepted certain tenets of science at that time. So as I grew older and began to realize that wasn't probably the whole picture, I actually began to understand that science and religion were actually complementary, that science had information that religion could be informed with, and religion was able to provide uh, science with a purpose for the information that they had. And this is one of the things I really love about Calvary is the head, heart, and hands because I really feel like that puts everything together as we really strive to make this a better place to repair the world and to bring uh, redemption to the world. That's outstanding. So your granddaughter Scarlett lives with you and Debbie. Um, Y'all have had her since she was 10 months old, I believe. If, if you were going to pick one lesson that you wanted to pass on to Scarlett, what would it be? Okay, it, it would be um, be thoughtful. And I think that, I mean that in, in two instances of the word. Be thoughtful and in that to be considerate, be kind, 
say thank you to people for their work. And also be thoughtful in that be a thinking person and be alert to what is around you and what's going on. And really try, and I know I've said this before, but try, work hard to make this a better world. That's terrific. Well, I do have a bonus round for us, something of a lightning round. So I'm going to give you some options. I just want you to tell me the, the oh, one that seems to be great. your immediate All right, preference. Sure. Okay. Cats or dogs? Uh, dogs. Okay. Explore space or the ocean? Ooh. Can I, can I do both? No. no. you got to pick one. Okay, space. Okay. Baseball or football? Uh, baseball. Chicken or steak? Chicken. Uh, Fox News Radio or NPR? <laughs> John, thank you for being willing to share with us. Thank you for, for your interview. Gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, 
May the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the 1930s, a man named Viktor Frankl was one of the leading psychiatrists in Vienna, Vienna, Austria. His work was focused on suicide prevention among teenagers, and he was doing cutting-edge therapy to treat depression that was garnering international attention. But in 1938, Viktor Frankl was told that he could no longer treat patients of the Aryan race due to his Jewish identity. Nevertheless, he continued to progress in his work and his research, and in 1940, Frankl became the chief of neurology at Rothschild Hospital, which was the only hospital in Vienna to which Jews were still admitted. Over the next few years, Frankl would risk his life and his career by making deliberately false diagnoses of mentally ill patients so that they would not, per Nazi orders, be euthanized. As the Nazi regime continued to gain power and influence, Frankl thought it was probably smart for him to apply for a visa for himself and his wife so that they could go to the United States, which he was granted. He knew they could escape there, and he could continue to progress in his work. But when the Nazis started capturing the Jews and taking them away to concentration camps, focusing on elderly people first, Frankel looked down at his visa and stopped in his tracks. He knew it was only a matter of time before they would be coming for his parents. So he had a decision to make, one he knew would impact the rest of his life. Should he stay behind, knowing his parents couldn't go with him to America? Should he stay by their side, even if it meant he might be taken to a concentration camp too? Or should he flee to safety with his new wife and continue his psychiatry career in the United States? There was no easy answer, no instruction manual for what to do in a situation like this one. Well, one day, Frankel was so disturbed about what to do that he went to St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna to clear his head. He desperately just prayed for some kind of sign to make his way clear, but instead his mind was swimming with all of these unanswered questions and possibilities. Except when he returned home, Frankel found exactly what he had been looking for. A broken piece of marble was lying on his kitchen table. His father explained that he had picked it up from the rubble of one of the nearby synagogues that the Nazis had destroyed. On it were some of the words of the Ten Commandments. And when Frankel read it, he knew what he had to do because the marble on his kitchen table said, honor thy father and thy mother. And so in September of 1942, the prominent Jewish psychiatrist and neurologist, Viktor Frankl became prisoner 1191.04. He was arrested and transported to a Nazi concentration camp alongside his wife, brother, and his parents. But the interesting thing is that Frankel thought he would be giving up his work, and little did he know how desperately his work would be needed in the days ahead. He actually became the therapist of this entire camp, counseling countless people in the midst of unimaginable trauma and suffering. Now, three years later, when the camp was finally liberated, Frankel was the only member of his family who was left. His parents, his brother, his wife, who was pregnant at the time, had all been killed. In the difficult days that followed, Frankel poured himself into writing a book documenting all of his experiences in the camps. Man's Search for Meaning went on to become a bestseller, and the Library of Congress has named it one of the most influential books of all time. 
And these are some of the words that Frankel shares from what he learned in the camp. You could say that these are his instructions for living a life. Being human, he writes, always points and is directed to something or someone other than oneself, be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or to another person to love, the more human he is. I might add, the more Christ-like she or he is too. Because Frankel's words sound strikingly similar to Jesus' words to the disciples in Luke 9 that we read today. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. You know, it seems counterintuitive that Jesus would give us this instruction that if you really want to live a full life, you need to be willing to lose it. I don't know that these would be the words on any kind of bestseller today. And yet he says these words, or some variation of them, at least six different times in the Gospels, which means you and I have to pay attention. And I don't know about you, but it seems like many of us spend a lot more of our time and energy and resources doing whatever is in our power to save our lives, to secure our lives, to protect our lives and prolong our lives much more than we do to lose our lives. And these things aren't necessarily wrong, or at least without good intentions. I mean, I think at the end of the day, all of us want to know that our life on this earth has mattered that our life has made a difference somehow, some way, in God's big, beautiful world. And that means so much to us that we want to protect it and to preserve it at all costs. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that a life that really matters is not a life that is carefully boundaried and secured and scooped out in bit by bit in measured amounts. It's not a life that grasps and hoards and clings to itself, but rather it's a life that is given away, that is let go, that is poured out for others no matter the cost. For those who want to save their life will lose it, he says, but those who lose it for my sake will save it. The question is, what does it really look like for us to lose our life? And what what does that even mean, and what are the instructions for that? For some of us, maybe it means relinquishing control, which is so hard to do, isn't it? Letting go of our picture-perfect scenarios for what our life is supposed to look like and learning to trust in God's dreams for us instead. Maybe it means living a life that gives more than it takes and lets go of so much more than it holds on to. For some of us, losing our life means loosening our grips and giving ourselves away to one another and ultimately to God. But for others, maybe it doesn't feel like we have anything left to lose because we've already lost. I know there are so many of us in our Calvary family who are grieving right now. I know there is very real pain and loss in this room today. And so I don't need to tell us what losing our lives looks like because in so many ways we already know. We know the pain of losing someone we love. And for some of us that pain is so raw and so deep. Maybe we know the pain of losing our health of not being able to do the things we love and to live the life that we'd imagine for ourselves. Maybe we know what it feels like to lose a job that was so much a part of our identity and our sense of purpose. Maybe we know the pain of losing a marriage or losing our family or losing a significant relationship. And the way things have always been suddenly isn't how they are anymore. And there is so much loss that comes with that. You see, everyone here, at some point or another, has known or will know the pain of loss. 
we've been talking about living the good life that Jesus is telling the disciples here. If they want to follow him, they will know loss too. As Andy Arterberry points out in his commentary, up until this point in Luke's gospel, we have discovered so many facets of who Jesus is. We have learned that he will bring salvation to both the Jews and the Gentiles. We've learned that he will be a herald of good news to the poor. We've learned that he is a great prophet. But now we learn that Jesus must suffer. Any conception of Jesus as the Messiah that fails to incorporate suffering into the role of the Messiah will be insignificant. And so today, I would add that any of our instructions for living a life that fail to incorporate the reality of suffering and loss as part of that life will be insignificant as well. Perhaps the question for us isn't how do we lose our lives, but when everything is lost, what do we do next? Will we ignore it and deny it? Will we hide from it and run away from it? Will we push back on it and fight and inflict our pain on other people? Or will we be willing to meet God here? To trust that even what feels like death, and even death itself, doesn't have to be the end of our story. Some of you know that our friend Sheila Smith has been on a difficult journey with lupus over the past several years. Sheila's not here today, but she's given me permission to share with you this story that she has been recently diagnosed with yet another autoimmune disorder called polymyositis, except this time it is attacking Sheila's muscles, resulting in excruciating pain, debilitating weakness, and a progressive breaking down of the muscles of her body. This recent diagnosis has not at all been the news that Sheila wanted to hear especially for the person that we know and love who is always up before dawn, working long hours in her garden, preparing meals for Calvary families, writing blogs and books and sewing for her grandchildren, raising money for missions at Calvary, caring for her babies in the nursery, and we know that the list goes on and on. At each stage of her journey with lupus, Sheila has worked to find a new rhythm in life. But this recent diagnosis has left her at a loss for what this chapter will look like. And so on a particularly difficult day last week, Sheila was in so much pain that she knew she needed to stay in her chair all day. She was feeling pretty hopeless about it all. But early that morning, she got a phone call from the school in Lebanon where she has served so faithfully over the years and where Calvary has served as well, asking if she might have time in the next couple months to write a new special education curriculum for their teachers. And Sheila thought to herself, well, that's something I can do right here from my chair at home. And so her brain immediately began humming with ideas. Not long after that, a woman in California who had come across Sheila's blog and book contacted her. Their stories were remarkably similar, and Sheila was blown away that this woman had found her. And on the morning when she had been feeling pretty hopeless about her own situation, Sheila found herself offering encouragement and wisdom and hope to someone else. And then a friend and ministry partner from Lebanon contacted her to see if he could stay with her and Tim the next week. And she thought, well, I can't get out of my house much right now, but what a joy to host a dear friend right here in my own home. Within hours, Sheila was blown away that in one of the lowest moments of her journey with this diagnosis, just when she thought everything she has been working so hard for was lost, God kept showing up. Because God is always in the business of taking what feels like death and transforming it into new life. Friends, that's when God shows up best. You see, when all seems lost, Jesus is well acquainted with this space. He knows it well, and he meets us here. That's why in Christ there is strength even when we are at our weakest. There is grace even when we are at our lowest. There is hope even when we are in despair. There is light in the darkness, 
And thanks be to God, there is resurrection and life eternal, even when all the signs around us point to death. C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. He writes, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing, he says, nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. You know, I don't know what losing your life looks like for you today. I can't fill in that blank for you. Maybe God is inviting you to let go of something significant today to let go of your sense of control and self-sufficiency, to let go of comfort and familiarity, and to take a risk in trusting God beyond what you could imagine. Maybe God is inviting you to let go of your time and to invest it in purposes and people who deeply matter in the kingdom of God, to let go of your resources and to give in ways that will last well beyond any of us ever will, to let go of our own plans and to trust in God even when our way is not clear. But maybe it doesn't feel like there's anything left to let go of right now. Maybe life has already forced you to let go of something or someone already and the pain is just too great. Maybe it feels like God has let go of you. Friends, no matter where you find yourself today, the message for all of us is the same. Those who lose their life will find it. It may not be immediate. The resurrection wasn't either. But when everything around us seems lost, I believe with every fiber of my being that Jesus meets us here, that that's when he shows up best. And so whatever loss you are carrying with you today, I hope you will hear these words from the musical Dear Evan Hansen to remind you of this, that you will be found. Even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need a friend to carry you, and when you're broken on the ground, you will be found so let the sun come streaming in cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again lift your head and look around you will be found and so god i ask that you would find us today find us in the midst of pain and loss Find us in the midst of fear and anxiety. Find us in the midst of pride and self-sufficiency. Find us with whatever we carried with us into this room today. God, meet us here and help us to know that we are not alone. That when all around us seems lost, that's when you show up best. God, help us to have the courage, even in these moments, to follow you, to live lives faithfully with you. We ask all this in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, the reality is that a starting point for really living a life begins with discovering what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you'd like to talk with one of our ministers about what that means and what that could look like for you, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary today. Maybe you'd like to become part of our faith family here at Calvary, where we seek to follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you today. 
Maybe you want to reflect on that card. There are green cards at the corners of these pews and at the corners of both of the pews in the middle. Maybe you want to spend some time reflecting, what are the instructions I'm following to live a life with God to the fullest? And am I actually living them? We'd love for you to take a few moments to do that and also to feel free to hang your card around the sanctuary throughout the rest of the worship service. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back to receive you and pray with you as we continue in worship. you have given us. In fact, we are mindful that all of life is a gift from you. We are grateful for each breath. We are grateful for each relationship you offer us. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together to worship you and express our gratitude for all you have given us and all that you are to us. In this moment, we sit with the opportunity to give back. Whether we give online or in this moment, we offer back to you our small gifts, knowing you will continue to do great things. More than these gifts, help us to let go and offer ourselves to you in new ways throughout this week. Amen.
Calvary, if you don't know her, it is my great joy to introduce you or reintroduce you to Georgilyn Smith. Georgilyn may be the longest standing member of Calvary in this room today. She has been here since the age of three. She said she grew up in that nursery back there, that she was baptized in what is now our chapel and married here in the sanctuary. Um, Georgilyn spent a few years away from Calvary, and she walked to the back today and said, I'm coming home. And when I said, what makes your heart sing? She said, being back with Calvary. Georgilyn is also a retired nurse. Um, I've heard that she loves holding little babies, and as we've been in a baby boom recently, I think lots of folks will be excited about that. Um, Georgilyn, you are such a light in this space, and we are thrilled to welcome you back to the Calvary family. And your Calvary family has some words we would like to share with you today. In response, in response to your decision, we pledge ourselves to the family of God for you in this place. We offer you our love. We hope to learn from you, give to you, and receive from you by God's grace. I'm going to invite you to have a seat for just a moment, and then we will walk out during the benediction. And Jennifer Davis, can I randomly call you out? Would you be willing to stand with Georgeline and me in the Welcome Center and help introduce her to folks? Um, she said she would love for you to be by her side for that. A few announcements about things coming up this week. This Wednesday is our student preacher spotlight that we've been doing once a month. And we hope you will come hear a sermon by Evan Fleming. Is Evan here today or is he? So Evan has recently been called as an associate pastor to youth at First Baptist Victoria. And he is bouncing back and forth right now between Calvary and there. But he will be here on Wednesday night with us. And I hope you will be here to encourage him and support him in his call to ministry. Also, small group signups will be starting this week. Uh, they'll be meeting throughout the season of Lent, taking off for spring break, based on the book Learning to Walk in the Dark by Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, these are a great way to get to know new people at Calvary and engage in the worship theme in a deeper way, so we hope you will sign up. Um, and we also hope you will engage with us in a deeper way in this worship theme. What are those instructions that I really follow for living a life, and am I actually living them? Um, I hope you'll take a chance to read some of the cards. Randall mentioned that we as the staff did that, and we were so inspired and challenged by your words. So thank you for your thoughtfulness and intentionality with that. Um, I hope everyone will take a card and reflect on it and worship or take it home and bring it back. And those will be a, a beautiful collection of the instructions for living a life of the Calvary family. Well, please stand and join me for this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. Go now in peace. Amen.